Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, Stewart always had a reputation as being kind of like a, a, a smarter-than-thou jag-off. And I felt like this final episode of John Stewart showed that maybe behind the scenes... He is that way, but people respect him nonetheless, and the people that work for him really respected him over the years. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums, but less than a dozen have made the five-star club. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the Five Star Club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review, better late. Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast from OverdueReview.com. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at Overdue Review. A little bit later in the show, we'll be checking in with our music editor, Andy Sedlak and what he's got on deck as far as what you should be listening to, what you should be streaming in the audio world. My department is telling you which television shows and movies uh, you need to be checking out that are streaming right now or ones that if they're not streaming now, they're going to be coming soon and you need to be watching out for adding them into your queue. We're trying to help you build a better queue, friends, sifting through the media wasteland. Uh, Welcome into the show. Glad to have you with us again. Let me go ahead and get my stogie of the week lit up here. What do I have? I got an A.J. Fernandez New World for you. Now, I would have loved to have had a Cuban stogie thanks to all the news that's been going on between the U.S. and Cuba. But, well, alas, I couldn't get my hands on one. So I'm going to have to go with the fine folks of Nicaragua for this smoke. Oh, that's good. That's nice. All right, we'll check out Cuba one of these days. Uh, welcome into the show. Let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. I do want to mention uh, as we start the program off today that uh, I urge you, if you're listening to the show for the first time or if you're listening to it for the – how many episodes are we on now? For the ninth time, go to iTunes and please rate the show. You know uh, how you can give it one to five gold stars there at iTunes and write a little review up? Please do that and write the little – You know, take a, a minute to write like a sentence about the show and what you like about it or go longer if you – uh, if you like to, but uh, it is uh, really important those those reviews those those do drive up uh, the the visibility and the number of downloads and and how people take your show seriously. So I really appreciate some of the folks that went on there and did give us some reviews um, after the last episode when I asked for that. And um, if you could please go on and do it, I uh, would definitely appreciate it. So thank you very much. Go to iTunes and and review the show and subscribe to it while you're there as well, because then you get every new episode free. 
All right, let's go ahead and get into the meat here. Um, talking about uh, television shows that were on in the last couple of weeks since we last spoke that were of importance, I think number one, most paramount, most important TV event that aired in the last two weeks was The Daily Show, the final episode of Jon Stewart. The guy had been hosting the show for 16 years, taking over after Craig Kilborn was uh, let go from the show. And when Jon Stewart took over, it took some time, but he completely changed the dynamic of that program. And when we think of The Daily Show now, we think of it as this very important Pulitzer-winning program that changed the way we look at media and the way we look at politics and really skewed politics for a new audience even though Stewart always maintained it was just jokes and they were not journalists, they were bringing to light some important, uh, some important stories. And they were picking on a lot of uh, things that resonated with uh, an audience that may not have really cared about politics very much. And I'll put myself into that category. The Daily Show was really one of the first shows I watched on a regular basis that was very political. But it wasn't always like that. When the show first started, really, it was just a parody of, like, local news or national news uh, magazine television shows. And the what they would do was they would interview people and then they would edit the interviews in a way that made them kind of look stupid and it really like picked on the on the interview subjects and really it was kind of mean. Like the Daily Show got blasted a lot by critics in its early days because people felt like it was unfair to the people who were being interviewed and it was mean to them um, for the sake of a laugh. And it was funny, but yes, it, it was. You go back and watch some of those old episodes of the show, especially in the Craig Kilborn years, and it was kind of brutal and scathing and just you know mean to the folks that they were interviewing. But Jon Stewart took it away from that and really made the show more mean toward uh, the for. The, mean toward mass media outlets, politicians, policymakers, and and people who deserved to have a finger pointed in their face. So can't really uh, overstate how much Jon Stewart did for The Daily Show. But his final episode, I want to say that I feel like it was worth going back and watching if you ever liked that show and if you missed seeing some of the old faces that made it great. Um, If you were a fan of The Daily Show, the last episode is definitely worth going back and watching. And I mean if you were a fan of the show and you, like, stopped watching it along the way. Now, The Daily Show final episode of Jon Stewart was not worth watching if you didn't ever follow The Daily Show and you were hoping to, like, jump on and see one episode that showed why this show was great. Or you were hoping to see one, like, final epic political A-bomb being unleashed on the policymakers in this country by Jon Stewart. That did not happen in this final episode. The entire episode was a party, really. Uh, It had tons of old faces that we had forgotten about and others that we hoped that we would see again, and we did, as far as the correspondents go that were on the show. Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, came on and played uh, Stewart out at the end of the program with a request of uh, The Land of Hope and Dreams, one of my favorite Bruce songs. And then he played a coda of Born to Run. Um, and, and like I said, it was just a party atmosphere, the whole show. It was more fun, I felt like, than Letterman's farewell episode, which just aired a couple months ago. And it was also more sentimental. Letterman's final episode was like, I feel feel like is going to have this reputation for being very cold. It was like a cold fish final show. It was not the tear-filled goodbye that some people may have expected. And really, who would expect that, though? It was Dave Letterman. He was um, always anti-establishment. He was always kind of just, uh, uh, he, he was always kind of laconic, and that was his thing. He was just aloof. That was what made him cool. Um, and Stewart was was that way to a point, but I think in this last episode, it showed really how much the show meant to him, how much these people meant to him. Uh, the show did include a few, like, boilerplate final talk show episode moments, though. Um, it wasn't totally 
out of left field. And it wasn't totally original like the show itself was for its run. There were surprise appearances, pre-taped video farewells from big-name celebrities and politicians, uh, showing and thanking the entire backstage crew of the show, giving the uh, incoming host a moment's recognition. So, like I said, those were all moments that are pretty trite at this point when you're talking about final episodes of a of a talk show, but all of them were done really in a creative way, especially the way they, they thanked and recognized all the backstage people you never see, which they, they ripped off Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas in this uh, little homage and even had, had a cameo from Marty himself. So it was kind of cool. Uh, Stephen Colbert was there, of course, arguably the most famous uh, person beside John Stewart to come out of The Daily Show. Uh, I mean, Steve, Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, I think, and, and John Stewart would all kind of wrestle for that for for that mantle. Uh, but Colbert gave an unscripted thank you to Jon Stewart, and that was a nice moment. It was fun to watch the host as he squirmed a little bit while he was shown gratitude. And I also felt like Colbert's speech was real and showed the level of respect that these people on the show have for Jon Stewart and had for Jon Stewart. So uh, Stewart always had a reputation as being kind of like a a, a, a smarter-than-thou jag-off. And I felt like this show really... This final episode of Jon Stewart showed that maybe behind the scenes he is that way, but people respect him nonetheless, and the people that work for him really respected him over the years. Uh, and for all the flack that I feel like Stewart has gotten over the years for being egomani- egomaniacal, I'm sorry, and uh, being a control freak, he turned the spotlight onto others for all about five minutes of his hour-long final episode. So it really was not all about Jon Stewart at all. It wasn't a big clip show showing, look how great I've been, look how funny I've been over the years. The spotlight was really on other people. He paraded correspondence through. He gave each of them a scene to show what made them great. And he let Bruce Springsteen play nearly 10 minutes to close out the show. He also uh, did air a lengthy video package showing and mentioning the names of dozens of crew members, as I said, which was actually, it was a pretty long little segment. And it showed each of their faces and let each of them kind of say a little thing. Um, I was sad, though, to see uh, that some of the people that made that show great were not actually invited back for the final episode of Jon Stewart. Frank DeCaro was the one that stuck out to me the most. He said on Twitter that he was not invited. He used to do a segment called Out at the Movies. And Frank DeCaro uh, played this very, I think he's gay in real life, but he played this very like exaggerated, effeminate, over-effeminate, homosexual movie critic in this segment that he used to do regularly on The Daily Show for years. And it was one of my favorite segments from the show like in the early days. He would review movies and he would always find like a gay subtext in the movie like no matter what the movie was he'd find some way to say that the movie was had like a gay agenda behind it um and i I just feel like it was kind of it was it was kind of upsetting to see people that were not invited to the show and say they were not invited to the show because stewart invited wyatt sanak back Obviously, he appeared on the final episode and Wyatt Cenac basically came out in the media before this final episode and called Jon Stewart a racist. If you look that up, uh, he said that they had gotten to a a fight over a sketch and uh, basically some some racial remarks were thrown around and it it did not look good. It didn't make Stewart look good and it didn't make Cenac look that good, but it didn't make Stewart look really good at all. But they invited him back for the final show and let bygones be bygones. So I just don't understand why everyone would not be invited back. It kind of had the vibe of that SNL 40 where some people said they were invited and others' feelings were hurt because they weren't invited or they were in the standing room only 
when they were invited back. So that's those are my thoughts on the Daily Show final episode. Like I said, if you never watched that show, I don't think the final episode is going to do anything for you. If you weren't a Stewart fan, it's not going to do anything for you. It's not going to show you like what you were missing all these years. But if you did love that show at any point during its run, uh, flip it on and, and watch to see maybe your favorite correspondent coming back. And I would say that it was one of the most important moments of the 2015 television year, which has been full of very important moments. All right, moving on, another big uh, finale that aired in the time that we have, uh, since the time we have spoken last, that's the True Detective finale on HBO. Uh, the show ended much stronger than it started, I felt like, which was the total opposite of season one. Uh, people really, I feel like, forget that season one, as great as it was for the like first six episodes, the last two kind of lost a lot of steam. And I felt like the ending reveal really lost a lot of steam and really was pretty lame, pretty dull. Um, as far as the big climax went. But True Detective Season 2 was like the opposite way. It started off very slowly. It fa- it took a long time for it to find its way. I think it uh, it really hurt itself in the end because it did take so long to find its way. As long as, I mean, eight episodes can go. Um, it's not like it was 24 episodes or anything. It wasn't particularly grueling to sit through. But in the final two, three episodes especially, True Detective Season 2 really found itself and finished very strong, I felt like. Um, every one of the main characters got more interesting in the final three episodes, especially Vince Vaughn's character, Frank, who just butchered the momentum of the first five episodes of the show. Um, he, he was... I mean, I wanted to go to sleep every time he was on screen until the final three episodes when he finally found his inner badass. And we got to see Vince Vaughn really, uh, really stop being stiff, uh, which was his problem the first five episodes of the show. Acting wise, though, I did feel like Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams were a blast to watch together. If you could get past his accent, which came off as goofy sometimes, he was very good. Rachel McAdams, uh, to me, really was strong all the way through. And as I said a couple episodes ago on the Stream Police, she was doing the best acting of her career. Uh, this was uh, this was great stuff from her. Uh, I, I felt like those two characters had like a reluctant chemistry, and their characters were kind of born to be together at the end. I mean, they couldn't stand each other at first. She wanted to bring him down. She thought he was a dirty cop. And at the end, we realized that there weren't many differences between them. And personally, as far as their personal lives go, they were kind of born to be together. The craft work behind the season also was very strong. And I'd say that the cinematography in season two was even better than in season one. It was a much prettier show to look at this year. California looked absolutely stunning. The overhead shots of the highway and the like serpentine roads wrapping in and out of each other and the cars, you know, lining the highways. I thought it was I thought it was beautiful. And the shots of the mountains, uh, the forests, the, the the oceans. I mean, it was just uh, it, it was beautiful as far as the cinematography of season two, and it was much prettier, uh, like I said, than season one. Uh, where they got lost, though, was trying to cram in too many conspiracies and too many plot lines into just an eight-hour show. And what's sad is most of the time, uh, most of the things that you were invested in during the first few episodes ended up forgotten or moot at the end of the day. And when I think about what we uh, what we were following in the first few episodes, the mystery, the murder mystery, really it kind of just got glossed over at the end, and that may frustrate some people, but um, what it tells you about this show, and you think back to season one and you, and you think about season two, is that what we know about this series is that it's more interested in being intellectual and much more interested in its characters than its mystery storyline, I feel like. So if you're looking for that whodunit, the killing, um, Harper's Island kind of show, this is not that show. I think we've realized that after two seasons now. This is not that show. It's an anthology series, though, so if you feel like you, you didn't like this season, 
come back to it next year. Give it another shot. Um, and if you like stories about government corruption, and if you like the Chinatown, California politics, uh, dirty pool kind of thing, watch this season. Uh, but don't expect anything as gripping as season one. At the end of the day, it was not as gripping as season one. All right, I'm going to go ahead and toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. I'll come back in a few minutes after he's done and uh, chat a little bit about some of the outstanding documentaries that you should be streaming immediately on Netflix. I'll give you my Netflix recommendations coming up next. But uh, go ahead and take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, what's up, guys? Good to be talking to you again. We all have opinions, uh, but there are opinions, and then there are opinions. This is true about politics, family, religion, but for our purposes today, I want to focus on music. All of our tastes are different, uh, but for better or for worse, some things are just accepted. No, there are no such things as universal truths, but there are some things that are pretty damn close. For instance, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album, has been voted as The greatest album of all time by Rolling Stone. It's been credited as perhaps the first art rock album of all time. The high watermark of psychedelic rock. And the single most lasting contribution from the summer of love. It's been credited as perhaps the most complete album ever made. And certainly one that stretched imaginations and creative ambitions for artists and generations to come. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll try not to sing out a key. Well, Keith Richards, you know, Keith of the Rolling Stones, says he doesn't like it. Uh, rubbish is, I believe, the word that he used in a recent interview with Esquire. Actually, I'm looking at it now. He said it's a, he called uh, Sgt. Pepper's a mishmash of rubbish. There are not a lot of roots in that music, he said. And I'm still quoting him here. Uh, He said, I think they got carried away, and why not? If you're the Beatles in the 60s, you just get carried away. You forget what it is you wanted to do. End quote. 
That coming from Keith Richards speaking about Sergeant Peppers. Now, I, for one, do not agree with that. I like Sergeant Peppers. I think it's a ride. That's the best way I uh, can describe it. It's a ride through a very, very unique world. But Richards caught a little shit for his comments, and it got me thinking about opinions and about the opinions that we keep to ourselves Opinions that we don't really broadcast uh, to the public. Now, you tend to do that, right, when you are in the minority, when you know for a fact you're in the minority. But we all still have those opinions, every one of us. For instance, I do not love Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I can see why they were and why they still are popular but to me a lot of it was just it's just excessive um not the most relatable band in the world um and i've never felt anything close to the devotion to them that other people have Uh, not even close but at the same time that that's not something that i offer up a lot you know even though I'm not the only one who feels that way, here is Pete Townsend on Led Zeppelin. I haven't liked a single thing that they've done. I hate the fact that, that I'm ever even slightly compared to them. I've just never, ever liked them. It's a real problem for me because as, as people, I think they're all really, really great guys. Just never liked the band. And I don't know whether I've just got a problem block to them because they were... Well, they became so much bigger than the Who in so many ways in their chosen field. But I've never liked them. And for that matter, here's Keith Richards on Led Zeppelin. Well, uh, as a band, uh, I felt that aptly named, uh, it it never took off for me musically. Uh, At the same time, Jimmy Page is one of the best guitar players I've ever known. And and Barnum was a hell of a powerhouse uh, drummer. Although I, don't, I think it's kind of heavy-handed myself, and that's where the lead comes in. Now let me throw another one at you, Radiohead. And I know some of you are going to hear that and be like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Andy, you lost all credibility. And hey, that's fine. I tried to get into them, though. Uh, and I thought they were just, God, just too abstract for my taste. And I actually had a conversation about Radiohead with a guy, and I tried to meet him halfway. I was like, well... I like fake plastic trees. And he says, yeah, well, everybody likes fake plastic trees. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> My point is we all have those opinions. We just don't express them. Why? Because we'd feel the heat. We'd be booed out of the room. But we still have those opinions. Uh, and, and I feel like we should get a little more of them out there. So my question to you, what's yours? What is universally accepted that you have never understood or just never dug? Hit us up on Facebook, tweet us, send me an email. You guys probably know how to get a hold of me by now. Sedlak Journal, S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal, all squished together at gmail.com. But I want to know which of the classics never clicked with you. Like, is there anyone out there who says, man, Born to Run is just boring? Does anyone out there think that Peter Gabriel so just like sucks? Or that Exile on Main Street 
from the Stones sounds half finished. That was actually that was the opinion of one review uh, that I read uh, in a book called Kill Your Idols. I didn't agree with it, but it was somewhat refreshing just to hear an original, unguarded opinion. Does anyone hate Nirvana's Nevermind? And I'm not talking about like the uneducated dorks that never really listened to the album in the first place. I want to hear from diehard devoted music fans. Which releases never did a thing for you? If you email me and don't want me to use your name, I won't. I uh I know this is risky business. <laughs> I look forward to the responses. Uh, I need to circle back to uh, to Dre's new record. Uh, the album called Compton was uh, released on August 7th. It's like a companion uh, release to the NWA biopic. All new material, though. And I had previously said on this podcast that I had low expectations. Yes, low uh, keeping in mind that I Need a Doctor was the last thing that, that I had heard uh, from Dre. Um, that was like the last thing he released solo that may have given us some sort of indication into his uh, artistic direction, or at least the direction that, that uh, he was interested in heading in. I'm straying from my point. My point is I like Compton. I like the new album. I mean, it's like, you know, we've only been on a couple dates. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for marriage, but but I do like it. Um, and I think that if you like Dre, his beats, his philosophy, his, philosophy, his, uh, his flow, when he's given uh, the material, then, then I think you'll like it too. So just a few observations here. One, it's a dense album. Um, there's a lot to Compton, many layers. Um you may need to listen a time or two to sort of get the lay of the land. Um, and that's sort of where I am right now. Now, beyond that, I think you'll also need to learn a lot of uh, new names. Justice, King Mez, John Connor, uh, to name a few. Uh, there's also some guy on there called Snoop Dogg. <laughs> the album deals with uh, familiar themes, legacy being the most prominent. In spite of this being a soundtrack to an NWA uh, movie, these aren't throwback beats. They're very forward-looking. I think they'll still sound good years from now. And Dre sounds good, too. His solo albums are done um, sort of by committee, more so than than most rappers. It's um, ultimately him. It's ultimately uh, Dr. Dre that will set the tone, and he will veto anything he doesn't like, but it's no secret that he has ghostwriters. Still, when rappers write for him, it's assumed that they are bringing their best. That's part of the fun of it. It's fun to see what's brought to the table. To get back to my original point, though, he sounds good. There's some giddy up in his rhymes. I think there's an effect on his vocal and spots, but but it's good. Keep an eye out for a track called It's All On Me. And actually, the track immediately after that on the album, All in a Day's Work, is fantastic. The closing track, excellent. Just like on 2001, the people surrounding Dr. Dre are pretty much all represented in this release. And yes, that includes Jimmy Iovine. 
if you listen to All in a Day's work, uh, you'll see what I mean. It <laughs> may even fire you up. Uh, Exhibit makes an appearance on the album. It's pretty unbelievable. The album looks back, but it's rooted in the present. And hell, the present has been pretty good to Dr. Dre. He shouldn't be getting lost down memory lane. I enjoyed it. It's not the Jurassic World of hip-hop, thank goodness. Uh, it's not just a, a nostalgia trip. It's been referred to as, as Dr. Dre's grand finale. I believe he made that comment himself. Um, that may be marketing, but considering he hadn't released anything prior to this since 1999, that may also be true. And the album itself uh, feels like one long last word. Wouldn't it be interesting uh, if Dr. Dre was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, and it could happen, and he's then pitted against Taylor Swift? They love to vote with Legacy, which is sort of what Dre's album is all about. This may be a great opportunity to award a hip-hop artist. It may be the last opportunity to honor Dre. But Lord knows, uh, they also love a true sensation with a story as well. And I think Taylor, I think Taylor Swift is just too big right now for anybody else to win. But it would be an interesting decision to have to make. Now, wouldn't you like to be in the room uh, when that decision is made? I don't know if you saw. Uh, I'm just switching gears. I don't know if you saw our tweet, but I was at the uh, Brandon Flowers show in Columbus. Uh, a week ago. I loved every second of the performance. I admire his new solo album. It's called The Desired Effect. Uh, and I like it as much as anything he did with The Killers. We saw him at the Newport in Columbus, uh, right there on High Street, across from the campus of the Ohio State University, Great Hall, all general admissions, standing room only. Uh, and, and Brandon was was so close. You just don't get that type of access to guys like this. Um, when you see an opportunity like it, you, you really need to jump on it. But I looked it up. Uh, Newport was built in 1923, originally opened as a movie theater. So it's an old building. And... During the opening act set, the power went out while we were at the show. You had a damn near capacity crowd of like, you know, 1,500 people standing. The power was out. They were, they were standing, all general admission, in the dark with no AC, no fans, no nothing um, because there was no power. Now, worst of all. You couldn't get any beer. I went to take a leak. This is true. I went to take a leak, and the men's room was pitch black. Guys had their phones out so they wouldn't pee on their shoes. And it was like this. <laughs> it was like this for an hour or so, but it seemed so much longer. Hell, during that time, we didn't even know if we would get a show or not. Eventually, the power came back on, and Brandon came out, and he hit us like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Thank you. 
maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just overly romantic. But this is really what I want to drive home. The power being out seemed to take people off of autopilot, I think. They proceeded to uh, sing a little louder, dance a little more. They checked their phones a little less, myself and my wife included. Ultimately, we were walking out there, and I told her, I said, I don't think I'll ever forget that. Just amazing stuff. Now, here are five songs to uh, get you through the week. Since we were talking about uh, Dr. Dre, let me give you what is probably my favorite album cut of his. It's from 2001, and it's called The Watcher. I've seen them come. I've watched them go. Watched them rise. Witnessed them. Watched them blow. Watched them all blossom and watched them grow. Watched the lawsuits when they lost the dough. There's another song. It's called uh, Jilted Lovers and Broken Hearts by Brandon Flowers. Why did you roll your dice? Show your cards. And then what kind of fool do you think I am by the Tams? What kind of fool do you think I am? You think you can go on seeing him? Darling, after we had made our plans, you said I'd be your number one man. And I want you to hear Walking Home in the Rain by Mike Stenson. Tonight I feel like being alone walking home. Finally, uh, a song that always makes me sit up in my seat. It's called Best Friend by Roy Orbison. A diamond is a diamond, a stone, a stone. But a man's not all good nor all bad. Call them as you see them. You'll stand alone. You're the best friend that you ever had. Oh, yeah, you're the best friend that you ever had. That's it, guys. I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. See ya. All right, thank you very much, Andy. It is much appreciated. Run out and put those five songs to get you through the week on your Spotify playlist or uh, check them out on iTunes or however you like to do it. Uh, Nice to have a Dr. Dre cut mentioned in those five songs to get you through the week. But I have to say that Andy Sedlak might be the only person I know who likes 2001 better than the chronic and yours and, and present company is included in people who like the older album better than the uh, than the 1991 album or 1999 album 2001 I should say um, I think it's got a couple of perfect tracks including the watcher the one that he mentioned there but overall more filler than the chronic I got to give my uh, thumbs up to the chronic more but said like sticks uh, with 2001 there I want to mention an email real quick that I got from uh, one of our listeners and uh, a guy I go way back with, Pete in San Francisco. He gave me uh, tons of Netflix documentary recommendations uh, this week, and it got me thinking about some of the best docs that are actually available now on the service. That is one of the best things about Netflix. And, Pete, I can tell you, you sent me like 20 docs to watch that I hadn't even seen um, on this list, a couple that I had seen, but most that I hadn't seen. And it just shows you that one of the real – one of the real uh, places that, that Netflix is wealthy in is documentaries. And these movies, uh, they're important. They're entertaining. Sometimes docs get a bad rap for being like too art house, too abstract, um, too pretentious. But they're really, they're not at all. Um, I mean, most documentaries are very easily accessible. They're uh, they're very, they are niche as far as what they're talking about. But I think it's a good thing. So if you're into Filmmaking. You're going to watch a lot of documentaries like The History of Cinema or um, The Celluloid Closet or some of the documentaries that 
Martin Scorsese's made will get you through if you're a big music fan. I mean, there, there's just so many different types of docs for whatever you're into. And I, I've got four here that I'm going to say that are on Netflix right now and have been on Netflix for a while that I feel like you should add to your queue right away and watch them, uh, at least if they, they tap into something you're interested in. First one I'm going to mention is from 2013. It's called 20 Feet from Stardom. This is a music documentary that's about backup singers, and it gives you a few interesting stories about the unfair treatment that backup singers have gotten over the years, especially some of the horror stories from the 1960s when miscrediting artists was actually fairly commonplace. And uh, it's really sad to hear those stories. You know, it's a funny movie, though, because these backup singers are actually the people that you usually end up singing along with in your car when you're singing a tune. Or you've heard their voices a hundred times, but they're probably people whose names that you do not know unless you're a huge music nerd. Uh, The best part of the movie, 20 Feet from Stardom, is when Mary Clayton says that she's been woken up in the middle of the night to drive to a studio with the Rolling Stones and cut arguably the greatest backup performance of all time in Gimme Shelter. We said we'd be wonderful if a woman sang this part about that I'd written about rape, murder, and all this. It was in the middle of the night, and, and, and we thought well, we would love to have a woman sing this part. I didn't know her, and from Adam. Then she turned up in a curler, she was in bed, and she got out of bed. And, you know, it was a kind of raunchy part to sing. I said, what? Rape, murder? It's just a shot away. Yeah, she was woken up in the middle of the night to sing that part. And that story is explained in a lot more uh, stories behind some of the great backup singer uh, moments in music history. And there have been many of them. You may think that that means that there haven't been many of them, but there have been over the years. Uh, They're kind of all laid out in 20 Feet from Stardom, and I really recommend that movie. It was really uh, done with care and shows a lot of love, passion, and respect for these women, mostly a couple men, but mostly women who have been great backup singers over the years. Another one I want to recommend, and I can't recommend this one more. I gave it a five-star review on OverdueReview.com. It's one of the few films to be in our five-star club. It's The Thin Blue Line from 1988. It might be my favorite documentary ever made. Uh, This one got a guy out of prison who was serving a life sentence. And what more could you say about the power of a film than that? It's investigative journalism at its best, and the filmmaker, Errol Morris, plays detective in the film and uncovers a trail of iffy police technique that led to a man's wrongful conviction uh, for murder. If you want something hard-boiled, but with a laid-back presentation, give uh, The Thin Blue Line a run. You will not regret it. The music is perfect, and the movie basically invented the use of reenactments to help an audience visualize the real crime in question. That's the best thing about The Thin Blue Line. Uh, it, it reenacts the crime a bunch of different times from every person that Morris interviews and from their point of view, including the guy who is supposed, uh, who supposedly was have done uh, this murder. Uh, it's a murder of a uh, police officer, of all things. So it's a, it's it's a great film and just a lot of fun to watch. And like I said, it, it was so it's been copied so many times. You might feel like the film's trite, but really, when it came out in '88, it was the first one to use a lot of these techniques, including having the interview subjects look right into the camera. They're not looking off camera, looking at the interviewer. They're looking right into the camera, uh, thanks to uh, a little device that Morris invented that he's used for like all of his films, all of his documentaries since then. But The Thin Blue Line is on Netflix now. Uh, he 
of course, uh, almost overacted his innocence. He just, he protested that he hadn't done anything and couldn't imagine why we were uh, bringing him in. He didn't fight or he didn't resist. He just protested his innocence. Another one that's on Netflix now that's gritty crime uh, procedural, but also takes a look at family, is Brothers Keeper. This is from 1992. This movie came from the guys who directed the films Paradise Lost and Some Kind of Monster, which were great documentaries as well. But to me, Brothers Keeper is a masterpiece. Um, It's a movie that's going to break your heart, but it will also teach you something about putting people in a box with a simple label on it, as we've all done at times. Uh, you know, stereotyping people. This movie will will get you away from that a little bit. It will at least make you think harder about it before you do it. Uh, it's about four mostly illiterate elderly brothers who lived in a uh, rundown house in rural New York. And when one of them dies suddenly, it's investigated as a murder from one of the other brothers, possibly a mercy killing, actually, because the brother may have been sick. Um, This is a study of humans, but also the way we perceive others. And it's interesting to see the contrast in attitudes when a horde of urban journalists come to this farm community where these brothers lived and start forming opinions of the people who live around town. And it will really make you think harder, as I said, uh, before you put people in a box. The Ward boys, as they've always been known, live the way farmers did 200 years ago. They never learned to read or write. They have no running water, no modern farming equipment. Nobody in town ever paid much attention to them until one day last summer when Delbert was charged with murdering his older brother, Bill. The final one I want to recommend as far as documentaries I absolutely love that are available now on Netflix is 2005's Grizzly Man. Um, This is another heartbreaker, but it's a great movie for people who love nature and people who are interested in stories about passionate people, really. The movie follows the life and work of Timothy Treadwell, who spent years living outdoors in Alaska, studying bears up close with only his handheld camera to document things. You know these uh, found footage movies that you always see in horror, like Record or uh, or uh, the Blair Witch Project. There's tons of there's been tons of them over the years. Paranormal Activity, the found footage genre subgenre has really been overdone over the years. But this is like the real life version of that. Treadwell and his girlfriend were eventually actually eaten by bears, and most of the footage uh, used in the film was found at the site where they were killed and is played in the movie. It's a tragic watch, but it's full of beautiful scenery, and it'll get you uh, talking afterwards about whether you admire the guy or whether you think he's an idiot. And director uh, Werner Herzog narrates the film with his signature calming voice, which you can hear in this clip. There were visitors every now and then, but for Treadwell, they were just intruders, an encroaching threat upon what he considered his Eden. Even the park service itself became an enemy because of its restrictions. I have decided to violate a federal rule which states I must camp one mile. Every week I must move one mile after staying for seven consecutive days. If I was to do that here, I would not be able to study these bears. I would not be able to really protect them. I'd have to actually move out of the bay to get a mile out. And I just want to mention that if there are ever movies that you're wondering whether or not they are streaming right now, a great website that I've found and I use uh, often is a website called canistream.it. If you just Google can I stream it, I think it's the first one that will come up. But the website is actually canistream.it. IT. Uh, This website uh, allows you to search any movie or show title and see if it's streaming across all the major platforms. And also, the uh, smaller and and, uh, the upcoming outfits of streaming video, like Epics and Snag Films, actually, it will show you if they're streaming there as well. 
All right, instead of talking about uh, coming attractions this week, I want to mention a movie that's already in theaters as I close things out here, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which I caught over the weekend, and I'm adding it into my uh, power rankings of the summer films of 2015, which you can go see at OverdueReview.com. This movie was a blast. It's already in theaters, but I just wanted to mention that the Mission Impossible series as a whole, rather than sitting down and talking about Rogue Nation specifically, which I do recommend, uh, really, if you like fun movies, you like spy movies, um, watch Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. It's not one that is nearly as confusing as far as the storyline goes as the other Mission Impossible movies, and it's just light and fun and a blast to watch. The set pieces are fun. It takes you around the world, and it's just a cool-ass movie, and Tom Cruise does a great job in it, and and so do the other uh, actors like Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames and uh, and Jeremy Renner. It's just it's a fun movie to watch. But the Mission Impossible series is what I want to mention here real quick. It's done something amazing. It's kept one star, Tom Cruise, for 20 years, who still looks right for the role, and he seems to really enjoy the character. He definitely looks older, obviously, now. I mean, how are you not going to look older after 20 years um, playing one part? But he still, it still works, and it still fits, and he looks ripped, and he looks viable in this part. It's not like Connery when he got older in the um, in like Diamonds Are Forever when he looked just too damn old to play the part, and you didn't buy him at all in it. The movie has raised the bar with every installment, I feel like. The series, I mean, has raised the bar with every installment in terms of set pieces and a signature action sequence in every movie. And the movies are always funny, and they're always exciting. Uh, I mean, think about... Other franchises like this, Die Hard, James Bond, Star Trek, X-Men, all of those franchises lost steam somewhere between parts one through five. I mean, with Die Hard, they did kind of fall off. I I thought part two fell off from part one, uh, but part three got better. But then four and five just kind of lost a step along the way. Bond did the same thing. It did lose some steps um, even in the the first five, the Connery films. Uh, Star Trek lost its way as well. Uh, The thing you got to know about the Star Trek movies is that the even-numbered films are usually the best ones. And with X-Men, it fell off with uh, the X-Men Origins Wolverine film, which was the fourth part. So like I said, they all lost steam somewhere between parts one through five, but not Mission Impossible. And each of them has made a killing at the box office as well, showing that audiences still really love this franchise. Now, I'm going to call my shot a little bit here, and this might be a little bold, but I'm going to say aside from Harry Potter, I would call Mission Impossible the most consistently great single lead character film franchise through five films ever produced. I'm talking about in the history of movies. Five movies, at least five movies, and with one lead character, really. Aside from Harry Potter, I'd say Mission Impossible is the greatest ever produced, and it's showing no signs of slowing down. Uh, So Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, go out and check it out. And uh, most of those movies are streaming now on uh, Amazon or Netflix. They're available right now with your subscription. So check them out, the Mission Impossible films. You can't miss with any of them. And really, you don't need to see them in order, and you don't need to see the older ones to appreciate any of the subsequent sequels. So go back and, and check those films out if there's any of them you missed. I recommend every single one of them. Um, All right, thank you very much for listening to the Stream Police Podcast. Appreciate it. Uh, Go on and subscribe on iTunes if you're tired of having to go to the website the hard way to check the uh, episodes out. Just uh, have them delivered right to your iPhone or uh, your Android or whatever your device is and check them out. We're also on Stitcher and we're on SoundCloud as well if you want to subscribe those ways. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Clint Davis, movies and and, uh, TV editor at OverdueReview.com. And I want to thank Andy Sedlak, our music editor as well, for getting us tuned up with uh, some great tunes to check out this week. Uh, We'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, Go to the website, OverdueReview.com, to read long-form 
reviews. And we're also going to have a new segment debuting this week on the website, which I uh, couldn't be more excited about. So thank you very much for listening. I'm Clint Davis again, signing off, and we'll talk to you later, friends. The Stream Police Podcast is a production of OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written thoughtful, unpretentious opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and music from every era. Overdue Review, better late. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.